Laura the MBIT Podcast with Seamus Medan. Welcome everyone back to another episode of the MBIT Podcast. I'm your host, Seamus Medan. And today we have a very special guest, Heather Harnett, who is the founding partner of Human Ventures, a startup studio and venture firm investing in wellness, digital health, and backed by renowned investors, including Ray Dalio, who was formerly at Bridgewater, David Solomon of Goldman Sachs, and James Murdoch. As the CEO of Human Ventures, she has created one of New York's premier startup studios and early stage venture funds. Since launching under Heather's leadership, Human Ventures has invested and co-built more than 65 companies with key investments, including Reserve, which has been acquired, Current, The Skim, Tiny Organics, and Tia Health. Those companies have grown to a combined more than $7.5 billion in enterprise value and have gone on to raise over a half a billion dollars in additional capital from many notable late-stage investors. As one of the top 50 most influential women in America by Hearst Digital Media, Heather is a frequent speaker at TechCrunch Disrupt and is a regular contributor to Forbes, where she covers a wide range of venture capital topics. Now, first off, Heather, thank you for taking the time to join the show. I know it took a little bit, but it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm impressed with all that you've built here. Absolutely. It's great to have you and to have this conversation. So, you know, let's first start off with, you know, how did you first come across that venture field and what compelled you to jump into a career in venture capital? Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, I, I mean, I was listening to your story and you're definitely an entrepreneur and I always thought of myself more as an entrepreneur, you know, in the early days of, of my career. And I came from a long line of entrepreneurs. My father was in the telecommunications business He, in the 90s, started pivoting into the domain world and kind of the internet. And so when I was very early, I started buying domain names, um, you know, 12 years old, had a huge portfolio. I I just negotiated one 20 minutes ago. I'm I'm always looking for that because it's really digital real estate. And each, each piece of digital real estate, to me, represented a business. So I think, you know, to answer your question... You know, the, the heart of venture capital is creating value. It's building from from scratch and and finding those founders who can build from scratch. So I started my career out in the Bay Area as an analyst and, you know, just kind of being around founders all the time and, and had a really strong mentor in the space. And fast forward 10 years later, I found myself in New York and the, the tech ecosystem here was really burgeoning. And I, I started Human Ventures in 2015. And kind of haven't looked back since. I never set out to be a venture capitalist. I think that I set out to find incredible founders and give them the resources to to accelerate their their progress. And that's that's what really blended into being a venture capitalist. Definitely. And when you built and started over Human Ventures, what compelled you to, or what inspired you to start the early stage venture portfolio instead of maybe a later stage portfolio? Why the early stage? You know, in New York in 2015, there was a really interesting and and impressive, you know, set of founders, but there weren't very many places for founders to build together. And so we started with a studio, a platform where we actually um, invested off the balance sheet. We built with the company. We had a space. We had resources for founders, tech talent, you know, designers. And so we just said, how can we surround founders with the right things to to get them from zero to one faster and speed up the ecosystem in New York and Fast forward, you know, now I think New York is the fastest growing tech ecosystem out there. We're not, you know, New York is the home to many different industries. So as tech has now become ubiquitous, you, you have to know media, fashion, tech, you know, all these uh, all these industries. It's not just tech for the sake of tech. So 
that's what that's what started human the the need the need yeah, definitely. And I've interviewed a couple of partners from a couple of different venture capital firms in New York City. For example, uh, Rebecca Caden from Union Square Ventures was yep. one of our guests. And I believe it's one of the best places to build a fund, although I am a little bit biased because I used to live in the city when I was younger. But what have been some of the positive impacts? I know you mentioned that ecosystem of startups and stuff, but what have been some of the positive impacts of hosting human ventures in New York? I would say, you know, New York is it's such an interesting place for just as long as it's been around, these networks are what permeate, you know, New York. And you kind of, the longer you're here, the deeper you understand the networks and the more, you know, you get entrenched in it. And that's how people fall in love with it. I mean, have you ever noticed people when they come to New York, it's either it's not for you or they stay for 20 years. It's just, it's never an in-between. And so when you start to see the layers of New York, it starts to reveal itself. And I think that's inherently what venture is all about. It's understanding who the buyers are, who the talent is, who the other investors are, who you can trust. And so in a world where you didn't know how to look up LinkedIn pages or everybody's information wasn't on the internet, you really trusted your close network to be able to understand, you know, who, who was, who was good, who was great, who was sketchy, who was, you know, and so I think that that social proof and validation is really inherent within New York. And I think it lends itself really well to, to venture, especially now when droves of talent are here. I think people are leaving, you know, a little bit more seasoned investors are, I mean, um, operators are leaving companies and they're starting companies, a very different profile. It's no longer the 22 year old CS grad from Stanford. Those are not only the, the ones who get funded now. Right. Yeah, that type of topic of pedigree that we talked about with Eric Bond from Hustle Fund, he said it's no longer just those certain types of founders from certain types of universities and institutions. We now see founders from everywhere and all over the globe. I'm a venture fellow yeah. over at this this firm called Blitzgoing Ventures, and we analyze deal flow from all around the world. I currently focus on Australia and New York City, but we have a bunch of different fellows that focus everywhere because really great companies can be built from anywhere. But yeah, I agree Wait, with you. can I ask you a question on that? Yeah, go ahead. How, how do you think about it? So it's so important to gain conviction, I think, irrespective of where somebody went to school or where they worked, right? But that's, there's natural data points in virtue signaling. But when you're looking at people who are blitzscaling, what are some of the characteristics that you look for in a fellow that, that catch your eye? Yeah. So in a founder, especially, we take a look, number one of the things we take a look as, but outside of the company and how they the company itself can blitz scale is we do look at the founding team as if they have built companies in the past, if they've been a key part of growth in certain types of companies, for example, head of growth or head of business development or something like that. And that company has been successful. If this maybe is the first company that they started or they were maybe a product manager or software engineer somewhere, and this is the first time they're stepping into a leadership role, we do take account of that. But that's probably one of the things we look at look out for is have they taken like a leadership role in a different type of company? Has that been successful while they were there? And then why are they now starting this and what makes them the perfect leader to uh, to build this business? It's great. I mean, learning that I think pattern recognition early, but also gaining your own conviction around those frameworks of how you evaluate what great is, I think is going to be the arbitrage opportunity as venture becomes, you know, proliferates and becomes a little bit more commoditized. Yeah, definitely. And over time, especially like I, I noticed when I was listening to a podcast from Harry Stebbings and Keith Raboy, one of the things that could be difficult is when you spend more and more time in the venture capital industry, you might end up picking up on patterns that you wouldn't necessarily want to pick up on, or you might start to diverting totally to a pattern recognition mode and say, oh, that hasn't worked before, so it won't work this time. So in terms of that, how do you avoid certain types of that bias in terms of pattern recognition? 
Oh, it's so such a good such a good question. I mean, one thing that we do is we cast a very wide net with our founders, and we have frameworks that allow us to really evaluate folks, irrespective of you know obviously where they came from or where they went to school, but just you know the qualities of them as a person. And then they start to refer other people from their networks, and I think constantly understanding what great founders think is great is the way that you you keep fresh. And it's not a great founder from 10, 15 years ago who had an exit and who could build in a different era. It's a great it's somebody who you think is a great founder now and you think is going to be the founder of the future and you you align with them. And by the way, it's not just founders, it's also other co-investors who you say, well, how do you see the world and what do you value and what do you think is great? And I think also you just start to you start to understand who people respect in each industry and why they respect it. And so if you have an independent kind of uh, thought around if you agree with that value analysis. It's not just because the person's charismatic and can sell. It's like, I think that you have to really understand what your frameworks are in a, in a very acute way. Gotcha. And over at Human Ventures, you mentioned leveraging that network to help companies grow and expand, resulting in a portfolio of founders who are all providing value to one another. Why is it important to do this? And should more funds take advantage of this? You know, I... It's very natural for our network to have this, and I, I'm sure other funds do. And I think, you know, so, some have talked about how they're productizing it, and I think we will continue to productize this as well. But yeah, it's natural to us to create a community that wants to help one another. We're a lean team, and you know, our power is using our network's network to be able to help each founder. And so we spend a lot of time putting goodwill out into the community, so that when we do pick up the phone and ask them to connect with one of our founders the person will take the call immediately and help the founder. If, if you're a human founder, that means something. I think our portfolio founders care about each other. They, they understand the zero to one really well. So we love to have the founders that are a little bit ahead of the game come and kind of and help earlier founders. And, you know, again, like that's more important to have those founders connect maybe six to 10 months ahead of, ahead of where you are versus somebody who's had an exit 15 years ago because the, the landscape's very different right? So constantly making sure the community understands where the pain points are and where they can add value back. We call it the human first principle. And it's really this reciprocal nature. If you if you invest in a community of givers, everybody gives, you know, if you invest in takers, you will never see you will never see that amplification benefit. Exactly. Yeah, I know for at least the MBIT podcast specifically, as we continue to have on more guests, I use a spreadsheet to keep track of people that I've come in contact with. But sometimes it can be quite cumbersome to keep in keep track of every single person on that list. But as you invest in more companies over at Human Ventures, how do you operationalize that network in an efficient way? And how do you do that? It's 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 the, you know, hopefully $100 billion question here. Like, I, I think some tech, but really, it's, I think it's understanding uh, some more e- like principles of EQ. And I think we're coming into this, I think people are valuing the network mindset more, you know, we look at databases, or you look at relationship relationship management tools, and a lot of them are very linear. And that's not how networks work. You know, it's people aren't just in a spreadsheet, and you have to have a touch point as a drip campaign. It's really, who cares about this subset of group of people? And how are they nurturing them? And how are you, um, you know, we, we actually with human ventures, we built a, we're co-founders in a tequila company, (laughs) a luxury tequila brand. People said, well, that's interesting. It's very different than a lot of your healthcare companies and future work 
Well, it's an incredible founder who who knows the industry inside and out. It's a human first principle there. But the hospitality industry is something that overlays all of the other companies. So now we have these incredible events that are hosted by this company, and founders know that. And it's another touch point, right? And it's another hospitality is absolutely a glue, especially in New York, that is intangible. You can't put a dollar amount to it, but once you see the returns, it's insurmountable. So I think, you know, to answer your question, I, I can't sit there and say, yes, we have tech platforms that help us do it. And you know, you can track all the intros that you make, but it's really just having people around who understand the relationship-driven, you know, mindset. We brought on Esther Perel, the world-renowned relationship psychologist, as an advisor, and we're trying to really put some more vocabulary to what this, you know, relationship building and connection, what value it actually really does create on a big scale. Definitely. And before we wrap it up here, what would be some of your advice for maybe aspiring fund managers who might be interested in building a venture fund and investing in the next generation of companies? I think the main thing, and I was thinking about this when you you asked this question, and you know, Paige Finn, who has Beyond Genius Ventures, behind Genius Ventures, she she's a friend. She was the one who connected us. Yep. She does a really good job at this too. I think you have to understand how you're adding value into the ecosystem. So to to want to be a venture capitalist is not enough. It's like that make money, not enough. It's, it really is. What is your contribution to either founders or another fund or building? And if you know where you're adding value in, in the ecosystem, that's where you have the best opportunity for returns because it's early. And that's, there's so many people have de-risked their life to go into banking and all these, and, and all these jobs, which like, you know, you, those are all really good, steady jobs. People are clamoring to get into them. But if you know that you can add value where there's ambiguity, those early days where people have usually a lower risk tolerance and you have a higher risk tolerance and you can create something from nothing, I think early stage venture is a really great place to be able to hone your quantitative skills alongside your qualitative skills and, and really bet on yourself and bet on your instincts. Yeah. And while I'm all for how jobs can be a great bet for certain types of people, for me, I like taking on more risk because you only really have one shot here on earth. And after that, that's pretty much it. So it's really about how many risks are you willing to take to really make an impact that when you leave something, uh, something different would have come out of it. And so hopefully some impact would have come out of it. Yeah, it's risk and it's building. Look, I really commend you for building something. You had an idea, you saw what was working, you pivoted it, but it's execution. It's relentless execution. And anybody who thinks that this just comes out of luck, is just very mistaken. It is it is focus, execution, and hustle. And I always say you have to really hustle till you have credibility. And if you have credibility, then you have to hustle a little <laughs> bit more. To, you know, and it just, it continues to to grow, but it's inspiring when you see it happen. So I commend you and and the folks that you you value because you can see that that's a quality that you have. Yeah, I appreciate you as well with Human Ventures. It's quite an amazing thing to build that type of fund over the years. But yeah, it's it's really, it is about that hustle. I know like it's even today, it's a lot of late nights, but I think a component of luck does help play in it, but it's not all luck. I feel like the more time you spend in it, the more you learn, the more luck will may have an impact in playing a role. That's how I first came across Mark Cuban and I was just doing some research about the healthcare industry. And then I came across this company and I'm like, oh, wow, maybe I should invite him. So I think it's just the Love more- that. Yeah, the more time you spend, the more luck can have a can have an impact. Yeah, you know, and I always always say like have your reach relationships, and then the reach three or four reach relationships, and then and then figure out what value you can add to their life. And if you can, then you're meeting them. You know, that's that's something you're not just asking to meet them. You're actually giving them a platform to speak to, or you're giving you know you're giving them something. And always start with giving. You know, I used to say like, oh, well, go on Twitter and you can listen, and that's the the greatest megaphone is Twitter, not to say but to listen. 
And now I don't know, Twitter's a little bit different for me. I think it's very crowded. And so I'm looking for the next platform that really has the, the really interesting conversations between founders and sightful investors. But really, what is the pulse now of, you know, of the zeitgeist and how you can can read that? Because Twitter back in 2007 was that for me. You know, I saw I saw who was connected and who was talking to who and following those maps were really what gave me an edge. But but yeah, I'm, I'm looking for that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Maybe it's on your podcast. <laughs> exactly. I know Twitter, I, I know it's a shift in the past couple of years. It's more about people try asking questions for engagement and everybody trying to boost up their numbers. It's a little bit different about that network. You don't feel that as much as you did maybe a, many, a few years ago. But uh, but yeah. All right, yeah. everyone. That wraps it up for today's episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to leave a five-star review down below and share it with a friend. And uh, thank you, Heather, for taking the time to join the show. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much. Having a pleasure of mine. Thank you. Absolutely.